0: This is Newsbounce with myself, Bino Sabite.
1: And me, Paul Nezendonye.
0: An unfiltered and light-hearted take on current affairs and politics.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at Newsbounce.
0: Hello and welcome to a brand new edition of NewsBance with myself, Bino Sabite.
1: And me, Paul Nezendonyi.
0: How you doing, Paul?
1: I'm doing really well, B, how are you?
0: All right, all right. Um, There has been so much activity going on since our last podcast. It feels as though the news agenda, and I know the news agenda never stops because we live in a 24-hour rolling news cycle, but
1: it just never seems to stop, Paul. It doesn't, and usually summer's the time where you get all the silly story, it becomes silly season, but it's been anything but this year, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, it's been one thing after another. And now the heat is up, um, or the heat has turned up with Brexit. I think with Brexit, we'd kind of all put it kind of to the back of our minds because it was done and dusted. Well, at least we thought it was done and dusted um, to some extent um, until uh, the recent, recent history, last few days. We have heard that the Prime Minister and the government... Are really doubling down on their plans to uh, pass a law which will provide uh, the possibility of violating uh, a binding international treaty. And as everyone will know, we locked and loaded this oven ready, so called oven ready Brexit deal yeah. that uh, the Prime Minister was very happy with, said it's a fantastic deal. Um, you know some some months ago and everybody thought that was that was good to go and now to our our shock and awe uh, the government is talking about uh, breaking the law in a very specific (laughs) way I mean what do you think Paul about all of this?
1: I think Brexit all the way along has been a fantasy hasn't it it's been this dream world that some people want to get to and some people don't want to get to and it's we've all known really, I think, in the back of our minds that it was going to be hard. It wasn't going to be easy to get this deal over the line. Boris telling us he had this oven ready deal was we all know was lies. The lies started from the bus. And nice. so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that we are where we are. But what is perhaps shocking is just how blatant now, now that it's all come out in the sunlight, it's just how blatant the government is happy to go along with breaking international law and with you know tarnishing the reputation of the UK and it's just you know it's that kind of thing it just it shouldn't surprise us really but it is just astounding that at the level you know the levels that this keeps reaching with this government you know this isn't just spin this is now just a blatant attempt at potentially breaking the law it's madness
0: it is, and and what gets me, you're right. I mean, on the one hand, you've got the whole reputational piece, um, you know. And if you look at look at media in Europe, um, I think it was Germany's, and I'm not going to get this pronunciation right, but it's a German publication. I'll give it a go, called Sudutz Zeitung.
1: That sounds right to me.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, in that publication, they basically said that Boris Johnson has shaken the core. Of British democracy and there's a lot of European media out there that is really again and you could say well that is obviously going to be the case because we are basically what we're doing is an affront to the to the EU but it it speaks volumes about really what type of operators we are and the you know we the British have always been known as as kind of Upholding law and 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 I know I know what people say, but democracy as a whole is is something that's sacred. And for us now to be tarnished with this brush, um, and for there to be this possibility that we could break the law, it really is bad and damaging. Not just for our kind of reputation in the short term, but long term. I mean, America. Nancy uh, Pelosi has already said that you know there'd be no kind of deals with the states um you know due to the impact that this will have on on northern northern ireland and it's you know complete change of terms to the northern ireland um protocol and and none of this seems to to matter to to the government i mean now um i'm hearing phrases like this is um like a break glass in emergency situation it's an insurance policy and all this kind of uh, language that is coming out. But it's, it's kind of like cowboy style, isn't it? To, to kind of do deals in this way, to actually make a deal with someone, put it down, it's all agreed, and then to try and go back on it. That's like proper cowboyish behaviour.
1: No, it is. And I think, yeah, cowboyish is exactly how i describe it, you know. I think we kind of expect that when you're making deals in this way, you know, you don't show your hand and, you, you know, it right, you know, you, you, know, you each side is going to escalate it a bit by bit, but it's just got to levels now where it is cowboyish. And the ridiculous thing is, is, it's now got Boris actually campaigning against his own deal. That's how it's just out. It's just, you can't even make this up. Not, It's not just, you know, going against the EU, but it's actually what he fought for. It's actually campaigning against what he convinced us was the right thing to do for the country. And, I'm, I'm, it'll be interesting to see over the next few days how actually, how citizens, how the public actually respond to this and how people that want to leave the EU, how it will play with them. Because as far as I can see, Boris is at the moment saying he's not pulling back. And, you know, we've had U-turns from this government left, right and centre. But I do wonder whether he will U-turn or whether he'll go forward, because from what I've seen, he's said to his MPs that he doesn't want any more miserable squabbling. And we've all got to be united on this. And he does have the majority to get it through which is also the worrying thing because even if there is an opposition to to the bill when it enters parliament actually if he manages to get his MPs around it it could go forward but I don't know if he they if he will be able to convince people I think this is actually a bit of a crisis situation for the government and for the country and for democracy as a whole
0: yeah and it didn't the thing is it didn't have to be this way at all it did not have to be this way it's 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 almost like this is being done with some sort of ideological stance and and because it, it, it doesn't have to be this way this is like the nuclear um option if you like and as you say he he himself was campaigning i mean there's loads of clips going around on on twitter about what he has said previously of as you say how fantastic the deal was and that you know he's he's happy that all all his during the campaigning he was doing with um um Corbyn he was making a big deal out of the fact that all of his MPs are supporting this deal etc so yeah it is it's kind of like how can you <laughs> it's it, it, I think it speaks more about the character of the man as well it speaks about the character of the man not only is it like bad for us as a nation in terms of our reputation but it speaks about his character as a prime minister
1: I think you're right. I think it does say, it does show you what he is willing to do and what he's willing to try and, you know, the, the, the boundaries he's willing to push. I mean, I can, you can kind of see that he's trying to put, you know, the UK on this, you know, global footing and, show the power of the country and, you know, showed it, almost showed that we don't need the world. But the fact is we do need the other countries that we share this planet with. And we just won't, you know, no country is going to trust us. You can't do a deal and then go back on it and expect other countries to also want to do deals with you. So I think you're right. I think it shows, you know, either some kind of weird sense of cunning evil or actually it's just foolishness and stupidity, which is, you know, I think it probably is the latter. And mm. the fact that he's prepared to walk away. Just makes yeah. it, well, where where is the country going to get, be, end up? You know, we're already in a, you know a terrible situation with COVID. Who knows what will happen with the economy? Um, if we're not, if we don't have deals, this country is just it's it's a terrifying thought to think about where we'll go.
0: It is, and I also think this will also. If you like, if you look at obviously scotland there's there's a lot of noise going on um around you know independence and that that's brewing up all over again yeah. and it's this sort of behavior that I think will push more people towards wanting an independent Scotland because certainly and I know we all voted on on mass as a, as, a, as a united Kingdom, but we know that Scotland as a whole does did not vote for brexit and but by kind of pulling these sorts of stunts and as you say, leaving the real possibility that we could walk away without a deal, surely it's just raising higher, higher possibilities, if you like, for, for Scotland to really make a lot of noise about wanting to to separate from from the rest of the country and, and to be independent because they didn't buy into this. In fact none of us bought into this to be to be fair. Well, unless you're a hardcore Brexiter. Um, well, I say. don't think
1: the the difficult thing is that fifty percent, fifty-one percent of people did vote for for Brexit. Kind for of, this, sorry,
0: for, for a no deal, the possibility of wow. a no deal Brexit, and for to vote for the reputation of the nation to
1: be tarnished. Well, when I, I looked, there was a poll in the Observer that said that the majority of Leave voters have said that this, it would be acceptable for us to well, not the majority, but forty-five percent versus forty-five percent said it would be acceptable to leave the EU in this way and only 31% of Leave voters said it was not acceptable. So it is, you know, I think the one thing Boris might have on his side is that people want to leave the EU and he's not getting a lot of opposition to that in the moment, is he? There is, you know, we're leaving and he is saying he's delivering what people voted for. Um, And that's why I was saying, I think it'll be interesting over the next few days to see whether there is a bit more of a public backlash against this and from the general public, you know, because it does feel like the party, the Tory party is also you know, really seeking to undermine everyone that is trying to, you know, point out the the error, error of their ways from a legal position. You know, um, Priti Patel was criticizing lawyers the other day and, Actually, if you undermine the rule of law and lawyers and the people that are there to protect access to justice and to protect individuals and, you know, uphold human rights, then what what are we left with as a society? But, you know, Boris is happy to just push ahead because he's got this idea that it's what the majority of the country want. And perhaps it is what people want. And that's an even more scary thought that we could end up going through with this. And who knows, like I say, where we'll end up.
0: Yeah, it feels very Trumpian to me. Very Trumpian. Um and yeah, it's 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 scary. Well obviously the debate will happen and I think he's given he's given them a kind of like a cut-off date. I can't remember what it was. Is it the the fifteenth of October or something along those lines? There's like a date, isn't there, that it's kind of either it's on, like Donkey Kong, or it's off.
1: We have five weeks and then he said he'll walk away and then who knows what will happen so it's, it's all right mm. like, you know it's my way or the highway and you yes know, who we well, are yeah, what is going to happen and
0: nobody knows nobody knows god more uncertainty paul in an so, uncertain world
1: uh, the one thing we're certain of is uncertainty it seems
0: yeah very much so oh god well let's um let's move on well sort of moving on from brexit but it was this story I saw the other day that I tweeted you about, which made me laugh, um, which was the Brexit festival. And the idea is that this festival would happen, obviously post Brexit on, on was it 1st January or 31st of December. And it's a way for the nation to heal and to bring us all together. Now, I I, I don't know. It's a bit like the coins, Paul. It's a bit like the coins for me. I'm not feeling this idea at all. And I don't, Know or see the benefits of it. If people are suffering, if the impact of Brexit is that we're going to suffer economically, we are potentially going to have this no deal scenario. We're going to be kind of our reputation is in the gutter. As far as I'm concerned, that's that's no reason to celebrate.
1: I think scarily, if. if- we are in that situation a, a Brexit festival might just be what we need and what? I think I think as a country we might need something to unify us to bring people together in a similar way as um the Olympics did you know everyone united and rallied around this you know momentous occasion and celebrated oh that so was completely different I oh, think come I, on I think this could be an opportunity if Brexit. Once Brexit's out of the way, I think you can't call it the Brexit Festival. It needs to be. Is it meant to be the Festival of the UK or something? I don't know. It was Theresa May's idea, wasn't it? From a few. Oh weeks.
0: yes, yes.
1: I think once Brexit's over, you need a way of saying right, it's over, and hopefully COVID will be over. And I, I actually would welcome a way for the country to say right, let's all celebrate, let's all mark this new future because we're going to have to aren't we like it or not if we're leaving the EU and we're stuck with it we need to put a line in the sand and move on and one of the reasons I am attracted by this idea actually is because it's supposed to be quite a creative and artistic festival um and the arts are just being decimated at the moment and so the fact that they're willing to throw 120 million pounds at this thing and it's all ring fenced means that either way this money has to be spent so let's embrace it let's make the most of it and let's just try and move forward you know we saw like I said with the Olympics with um when Hull was the city of culture you know it does wonderful things for for a society and for for the nation the main thing is that it's used in the right way and that you know it's it's used to invest in the arts it's used to invest in communities and then let's just try and move on from this the awful last few years <laughs>
0: Oh, you've believed, you've bought into all the hype, you've believed the PR Kool-Aid about what this festival is going to achieve and think it's going to be some sort of utopia. And after the festival, everything will be perfect and the world will be wonderful.
1: of something. I don't think we'll wake up and it will be done. But I think if you're going to spend money, let's seize this opportunity and make sure the money is used in a sensible way and let's use the arts to try and get people motivated and energized and believe in in the future of this country because i don't know where you know where things are going but we need to do something and mm.
0: actually
1: this could be a way you know there's many many many, many more things that need to happen you know, i'm not pro brexit i don't and i hope we don't call it the festival of brexit i think we need to almost separate it from brexit if we can i know you can't you can't really but it's not a festival about brexit it's a festival about the UK and moving forward, because that's what we now have to do.
0: Wow. Let's see, Paul. Let's see.
1: Actually, we-, I mean, we get Danny Boyle and we get, you know, I think let's celebrate <laughs> again. I really miss those Olympics. I oh, but it.
0: the Olympics were great. But that was the, the Olympics yeah. was was celebrating something completely different. I was celebrating we were a completely different place as a country. We were celebrating multiculturalism, you diversity. Need to, that, that,
1: the, you Need to remember all those great things.
0: Yeah, but but in that time though, sadly, those sorts of things. I mean, look at look at the complaints that the diversity troupe has got, as a result of their um, dance, um, expression of art about what's happening in society. The country is in a completely different place um, from what it was in twenty. When was it, 2011, 2012.
1: So, so why not embrace the opportunity to have a big festival where even more people can produce great dance like diversity so that so we can take that even widely across the country. Yet you want to say because people criticise diversity's dancing, we should not uh, no longer dance and be creative no that's, that's
0: not what I'm saying
1: <laughs> I not you'd want to deny us the opportunity to enjoy 120 million pounds worth of artistic creativity and to celebrate what's great about this nation
0: oh god well <laughs> I'm not I'm not taking away anyone's opportunity to dance that's for sure but I just feel that the country is in a very different place um, from what it was in. I'd rather see that money definitely invested in the arts because, as you say, that industry has been decimated. I'd rather see that money invested in communities up and down the country, um, you know, maybe some other way. But I would like to see that money go to good use, and I think it will need to go to good use post, uh, you know, COVID and and, and post-Brexit. I just, I just, for me, I just do not buy into a festival um, per se. But don't others may wrong. disagree
1: hmm? Don't get me wrong that, The festival is a part yeah. There's got to be investment In lots of other things and But this is one part of it This is one way of saying Right, let's, let's just For a day or two or a week Like we did with the Olympics You know, once it was gone We were all depressed And it was all very sad <laughs> For a little while Well, um, I,
0: I don't know about that I think the Olympics magic Actually lasted for some time Because there was like a massive build up and then you had the actual uh, ceremony itself, and I reckon that that lasted a good good while, that good feeling. Um, yeah.
1: Oh, you convinced us. me even more than that. We need this because we need this one.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, oh goodness. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Let's talk about Keir Starmer. Um, this is really interesting because we know, we know that number 10, um, and, and, um, Boris Johnson's office, they're going to be holding, um, monthly press briefings, uh, kind of like us style, um, for number 10, but it's going to be fronted by, I don't know, it could be like a PR professional like you and I, or some sort of spokesperson, but it's, it's going to be an unelected official that's going to be fronting these conferences when they kick off. Um, and in in response to that, Keir Starmer has said that he will be holding televised press briefings, so he'll be doing it himself uh, once a month. And this is all about, I guess, countering um, what Number 10 is doing and also to boost his own profile, which I think is a really good idea. We didn't see enough of that from um, Corbyn. I think it's a great idea. What do you think?
1: I also think it's a good idea. I think It might be exactly what he needs, actually, to raise his profile, to actually have a position on things and to actually be a stronger opposition. He's really struggling to capture the public's imagination and get anyone supporting him beyond the, you know, the 39% or so that currently do. Um, So I I think this could be a way of him actually moving forward but i do think though i'm in two minds about it because i think it's a good i think it's a great media strategy i completely agree with these press conferences and increase in openness and transparency um my concern though is what the, it is that he does have to have something to say um and so far i think he has struggled to have anything to say apart from yes mr bot mr johnson i agree with you that's very good you know oh you're doing a conference i'm going to do that too what a great idea you know where's his own imagination and creativity and his own leadership. You know, at the moment he's very much been led by Boris and always in response to Boris. So I hope he seizes this as an opportunity to actually get up there and set some policies, set some direction, and let us know what he thinks about things and actually show some passion and excitement and show how he's going to lead the country if he's elected.
0: Mm, I think I think it's a bit unfair or well, you probably think i'll say this anyway i think if you look obviously his his the uh opinion polls yes obviously you would expect labor to be doing much better than what they are doing given the shambles of everything that's happening with the government however he has still come a long way uh, in terms of where the labor party was under jeremy corbyn so I don't think it's fair to say that he's not popular or anything like that. I think he's done a brilliant job in terms of clawing us, the party, Labour Party, back um, from where it was under Corbyn. I do agree. I think what uh, Keir Starmer and the Labour Party need to start doing now is to, as you say, not to follow and to do more leading and to set their own agenda. I do feel that that killer instinct is not quite there. And whilst he's been great at PMQs, at, at kind of just eviscerating um, um, Boris Johnson and just being very articulate and measured and just pulling his arguments apart, you're right, you're in that, that, that is great, but you need more than that to kind of win the argument and to start progressing under your own agenda. And I, I'm not, sometimes I get confused as to what, the Labour agenda is because it isn't being articulated clearly enough. And yeah, hopefully these press briefings will do that and they won't just be kind of like rebutting stuff that Boris Johnson has said earlier on in the day. It will be about setting the agenda from Labour's perspective because I, 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 you're right, I do think that is missing. I do think that, you know, him doing televised press briefings will be in complete contrast to the fact that Boris Johnson hardly ever... We hardly ever he's hardly ever let out <laughs> to do these sorts of things. And when he does, you know, it's all a bit of a mess, to be, to be fair, isn't it? I mean, it's all just a bit of a, a car crash. So I think people will certainly start to see that Keir Starmer has got the the I don't know, the qualities, if you like, that you like to see in a leader. Um, but yeah, now it's about pushing forwards with the Labour agenda and making that high priority.
1: Completely agree. I think, yeah, he needs to, I think that will be very, very welcome. Um, because I do feel that we have lacked um, an opposition. And it's, it's weird, because we've seen so many U-turns, as I said earlier, from the government, but I don't know how many of them you would necessarily say were driven by the Labour Party. You know, they had, they were involved, but there's you know, there's been general backlashes against so many things. Um, But I'd like to see Sir actually be able to say, well, yeah, this is, you know, this is where we stand. This is where we're going towards and or these are the policies that have been turned around because of the Labour Party. I think we'd very much welcome that. I think the approach to media is such an interesting one because as you say, whenever we have Boris and Tory ministers in front of the camera I mean, it's it is a car crash. I mean, Matt Hancock. It's just it's you just watch through your fingers, don't you? It's just it's just a disaster. And I always wonder if he comes off and goes, oh, "I'm really proud of that. I did well. I got my five messages across." And you know, and I'm like, "No, it's it's awful." But again, somehow they're still managing to keep maintaining um, public support. So I think it will be interesting to see how Keir's personal style contrasts with that, um, you know, his polished forensic approach. Um, I don't know how well that will play with the public. Um, I don't know whether we want to see a bit of personality, a bit of humanity, hear a bit more about him as a person, perhaps. I think it will just be, it'll be interesting to see the the kind of approach he takes. Um, but one word of warning I would have for them is, as much as I said, I completely welcome um is the, you know, the openness and transparency and, you know, number 10 should be doing this and all parties should do this. And, you know, journalists and the public should be able to a- ask questions. Um, I think it is important though, that the parties don't let the press conference kind of drive the agenda, because I think that's the error we saw during COVID where we were having announcements made by Hancock and others, you know, every day, because, Almost like they were. Yeah, it's the four o'clock press conference. We need to announce something. Well, today we'll announce a hundred tests. Tomorrow, oh no, tomorrow we now need to say something. It's going to be five hundred tests. Now it's going to be half a million tests. I think they're now talking about ten million tests a day. You know, you need to actually, you know, don't just because you've got the press conference doesn't mean that's what well, you. Well, don't set the press conference unless you've got something to say. Um, and I think we must make sure we don't get into that kind of danger about press conferences and their deadline driving how um, policy is, dis- is decided um, or it's okay to say today there won't be a press conference or you say well today there's a press conference but it's actually about you just asking, asking questions rather than us making big announcements mm. because I think that's why the press conferences did need to be cancelled the COVID ones because it was just getting to a point where it's thought, well we're just hearing the same things like over and over or we're just hearing lies because they've got nothing else to say and or they're just spinning things, or they just haven't had enough time to allow the things they're planning to actually happen. So I think both sides um, should just be careful about not, you know, almost hanging themselves out to dry over it. And I think that's the advice I'd give to Kia is make sure you've got something to say, be passionate, show some humanity. You know, I I mean, I think he's got some lovely suits, but, you know, he could just just relax a bit, Um, (laughs) goffle his hair a bit maybe, but, you know, the whole... He needs to shake off the kind of boring Sir Keir and just be don't know, a bit more human. I don't think he needs to be Boris, Boris the Clown, because I don't think we want that. It would look stupid. But we do need Sir Keir the Human. Um,
0: Why do you keep calling him Sir Keir?
1: That's his name. You always tell me off when I don't use people.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he's Keir Starmer. I think I think adding the Sir Keir makes him more distant from... The
1: people. I, I, I don't know why he added the Sir Keir. He shouldn't have added it. That's his name.
0: Yeah, but he is a Sir, though. But we can just call him Keir Starmer. Well, his name's Sir Keir, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, that's the title.
1: Well, I don't see a Sir Keir. I don't see a Keir. I see a Sir Keir. He's very... I just see a kind of... I don't know. He, he doesn't... He needs to... I don't know. He needs to do something. And then I... I mean, I. I as much as Jeremy Corbyn wound me up, he... He was Jeremy, he was Jez, he was your mate, wasn't he? And so <laughs> just oh God. So yeah. It's well, interesting. Once he starts his press conferences, he might become Kier, but and but right now he's uh, Kier.
0: Isn't it interesting? It, it seems like there's no um kind of like middle ground, because you're right, you have kind of I guess he is more in the Blair kind of um kind of what's the word, genre. Of politician, like polished, as you say, um, but then again, I don't know. Tony Blair uh, was still sort of man of the people in the early days. Yeah, early he days. Was Tony,
1: he was tone. He had um, the Spice Girls. He, you know, as things can only get better. He was. He started the era of celebrity in politics, didn't he? There was yes. I mean, yeah, that wasn't just the man in a suit who was a barrister. Yeah, true, true. It was, it was, you know, even. When he, so Sakir is at the, you know, in at the dispatch box, box, all very polished. I think, you know, and and he he wins, but I don't feel that he takes you in and makes you think, yeah, I now want to go on the journey with him to to victory. You just kind of think, oh yeah, that was all right.
0: So what what do you okay? Other than ruffling his hair, <laughs> what, what what do you what do you want to see from Keir Starmer?
1: I think I want him to stand for something and I think it's very difficult to stand for something now. So I can kind of see the dilemma he's in, but I want him to say, these are the three things that as a party we are going to do and not just, you know, the taglines is, you know, but I want him to let me know where he stands on Brexit, but I know that's an issue for him. I want him to actually say what he, what he thinks about COVID and where he'd go, but uh, So far, it's all yeah. I agree with Boris. I just, I don't know. I just think he needs to stand for something now. Um, And you know, he and you can see there's a lot of subjects that he does avoid talking about. You know, he won't at PMQs. He doesn't talk about Brexit because he can't because he doesn't want to leave the EU. But he kind of needs to find a way of dealing with that because it's the big issue that the country's facing. And he needs to find a way of talking about it, moving us forward, moving us on, so that we can get to the festival and celebrate. The country, but at the moment I can't see Sir Keir taking off his jacket and you know letting his hair down and having a dance with us on the festival dance floor. <laughs> you can see Boris doing it, I can't And that's why Boris keeps gathering momentum, and it's oh, it's, okay. it's scary. I don't know, but Sir Keir, come on, come and rescue us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Tony Blair, your old mate Tony Blair, like he's he's piping up now about a few things alongside. Um, uh, John Major yes. um, You know, he's out there He's still there, Paul He's still he there is. for you He
1: does pop up every now and then, doesn't he? <laughs> he
0: does, <laughs> he does
1: Hell, he's so frustrated that he wasn't in charge And that he, he would be doing so many marvellous things that yeah, you can't take countries into wars like that I mean, if we were talking about <laughs> national law earlier I mean, <laughs> yeah, Tony
0: Yeah Anyway, they've all had their time, haven't they? Yeah Yeah well, let's move on to something else, Paul. Um, so, this was a really interesting uh, story. We don't, well, every now and then, we do talk about corporates and, and, and what they're doing, obviously, but this one really struck me. So, this is Rio Tinto, the mining firm. And just this week, their CEO and um, their senior executives, interestingly, their corporate affairs chief as well, resigned. Because in the quest for um, them wanting to get better quality iron ore, they um, blew up um, a 46,000-year-old cave in Western Australia. And this kind of rock shelter, they were really kind of important, um, an area of, of, I guess we would call it, for us here, it's when it's protected by heritage etc it's it's a bit like that and it, it meant a lot to the aboriginals um in the area it's kind of like a significant um uh area for them and, and they just destroyed it and you know initially the 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 punishment was going to be that these executives would have their bonuses reduced which i just thought this is ridiculous that is not good enough Um, And because of a lot of um, uh, pressure from the investor community, they've now actually been fired. But unfortunately, they still get some sort of long term incentive plan um, that they had in place. But they have been fired. And it just struck me that in this day and age, 2020, you've still got big organisations that are doing the wrong thing and really just... It's just a beggar's belief that such an organization would 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 do something so immoral and so morally bankrupt and for it to take the fact that, you know, investors are are calling for action to be taken, for action to be taken rather than it happening in the first place. I don't know what you what you thought about that, Paul.
1: Um, I, I completely agree with everything you've said, apart from I guess I'm not as surprised. I I just think we know companies behave in this way Um, and something I felt for a long time is companies tell you all about their ethics and their social, you know, responsibility and all the things they're doing in terms of the environment. But actually the fact is they're there to make money. And as we saw, they didn't take it very seriously. Their board didn't take it seriously. The chair didn't take it very seriously. You know, I think actually organizations, don't behave as if they're sharing the planet with, um, the rest of, you know, with other people. Um, you know, what Rio Tinto did was just disgraceful. Um, but I, I, there's nothing that they've done now to make me think they wouldn't do it again or that they've learned from it. There's nothing, you know, they've not changed any governance. They've not changed any of their procedures as far as we can see. I'm sure they'll do a few tokenistic things, but you know, they will continue to do this. I mean, it's a mining company, the very nature of it is it's doing damage and destroying the planet. Um, it's, you know, and I'm not saying it's acceptable, but I think it's just a classic example of an organization does something, a bit of PR tidies it up and they will go back to making, you know, ridiculous amounts of money. They, you know, their, their share price rose by 40% over the last six months because people were just, you know, liked the fact they're making lots of money. You know, this is one of the biggest mining companies and, People can't say they didn't know they were doing this, you know, from the top right to the bottom, the person that set the dynamite there and blew it up, whoever it's a whole company. It's not just the people at the top. And I just think there's something about the way organizations like this run that we almost can't escape from because it's, it's capitalism and it's disgraceful, I guess, but I don't know what you can do about it.
0: But capitalism, you know, I uh... know capitalism is not all bad that you can have responsible capitalism where you do the right thing for your shareholders and investors and for society i do believe that um because you, you need to have that um we can't not have capitalism it's how the capitalism is is exercised if you like um but yeah i think it also speaks about the culture of the organization because you know if the 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 CEO um, was was happy to go along with all this stuff. I mean, it it speaks volumes about the culture within the organisation that saw this as permissible. And it's interesting, like you know, I mentioned that the, the corporate affairs kind of chief also quit as well. And I wonder, when all this was happening, was the corporate affairs chief flagging the fact that this is a massive um, kind of no no and, and shouldn't happen, or were they complicit and then just tried to? you know cover up and and try to do their best to to maintain the reputation of the company it's interesting that they were fired too which suggests to me that they were part of this this action if
1: you like i I imagine they, they saw the price of their shares going up over the last few years and thought oh let's just let's keep going i i mean i imagine they probably i don't know how much they would stop and think about it and think about you know have thought about it they um it would all be driven by money i think um mm. i completely agree that you can do capitalism in a good way but ultimately there some more organ- like uh, this mining company is is mining the world's re- mineral resources it's it kind of can't help but do damage <laughs> um but i yeah i do i do think though like you say there's something about the culture there would have been people right the way through that organization you know you know whenever you th- I always think you know you would have had comms people h r people people in finance you know who would have or should have known what's going on, but people keep quiet, they let it happen, and if no one says anything, um it just it will continue to happen, and then there'll be a bit of media coverage and you know oh, we're very sorry. This time they said sorry and it wasn't good enough because it was a you know, it was a shambolic response. Um, so a few heads roll, but people keep their pensions and and then they, they'll do a few nice local events or something um, to try and make it right, and then they'll continue. Um, but you know, they're, at the end of the day, um, I don't know. It's just it just doesn't surprise me sometimes when we see these stories because maybe I'm just cynical, but I I maybe I, I just don't believe the spin and the the you know the gloss that organizations put on some of the things they do i guess
0: mm. wow yeah it's, it's 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 terrible it's terrible well let's move on paul to covid i mean it's it's really weird because now we're at it seems that we're at another crossroads in terms of what's going on with covid we've had the opening up of um obviously bars and 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 restaurants and and shops etc we've had this this, if you like, this, this quagmire, quagmire, is that the right word? We've had this, maybe that's not the right word, scrap that. <laughs> We've <laughs> had this, <laughs> we're at a crossroads, Paul. On the one hand, you've got the economy and you've got these Tory donors and others saying, protect the economy, protect the economy. And on the other hand, you've got the fact that you've got to look after <laughs> the nation and you know now we're facing a situation where the number of cases are rising again and it's like how do you have this balance because on the other hand also you've got kids and obviously it, their education is 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 i would say the most important alongside protecting people's health the economy I don't know about you, but I'd rather be alive than eating at McDonald's, quite frankly. So, <laughs> but I understand that the government has to balance all of these things. And, you know, there's been so many messages. The latest one now is hands, face, space. Um, we've got this the new introduction of uh, the, the the six the rule of six there have been so many different messages whether it's uh, the uh, air corridors and the different rules and regulations whether you're in England Scotland and Wales literally it's I, I can't keep up Paul I can't keep up but, but one thing I know is that we are literally we seem to be back in a position where You know, there are now danger signs. And for me, it's about what has the government learned from these past few months that they're going to implement to make sure that we're not in the same place that we were last time where we've come to the the stage, obviously, where 41,000 people have died. We're now hearing again that the number of cases in care homes are rising. And for me, literally, it is is what what has the government learned? What are we going to do differently, you know, the testing system is, and I'm sure you'll come on to talk about this as well, is literally, it seems to be a mess. We've had all this time to prepare, to get ourselves ready. And yeah, it's it's the prospect, the future of winter is not one that I feel confident about. And I don't know about you, but what has the government learned and 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 are we taking anything forwards to help us?
1: Yeah, I think. One of the things that we've seen is, I think, potentially this government has lost people's trust when it comes to believing where we're going and understanding the messages. Um, Actually, in terms of the messages, I think the messages are actually quite simple. Um, I'm not so worried about that. I think, you know, there's we've got all that's happened this week is we've had some guidance turned into law with regards to six people um, being allowed to meet up and. I know people keep saying, "Oh, it's different laws in Wales, Scotland, Ireland, and wherever." But I, I live in England, and I, I don't need to worry about the other countries unless I'm going there. I think the issue that we have is whether we trust in what we're hearing, um, because you know the the guidance is likely to change. We're in a we're in a, a pandemic. You know, it's changing all the time, so we will get different guidance. It's just whether we believe it or not, and I think that's the issue that I'm more worried about. Um, I think that. I don't think people necessarily believe we're following the science. I mean, we abandoned the science a long time ago. Um, and I think, like you, like you say, what the government's trying to do instead is balance politics and education and the economy and health. Um, and it's a difficult job. But I think unless you have the trust of the people that you're leading, um, you're going to find it even harder Um and I guess that's why they're having to do things like bring bringing um, these fines on the spot fines, because, you know, we're seeing that people are just holding parties. We're seeing that, you know, social distancing has gone out the window. Um, and like you, I do fear about what's going to happen in winter, because um, I think the rules are quite clear. We all know what we need to do. It's just whether or not we want to follow them. Um, and seeing people like Dominic Cummings going, you know, driving hundreds of miles for eye tests isn't going to help, is it?
0: No. And that's the thing. I think you know the the trust element is a major factor because you have I mean the the scary thing is about the trust is that we've seen a rise in conspiracy theorists now who are you know putting people's lives at risk um there's a big kind of anti-mask movement where people don't want to wear masks I mean we used to you know look at these sorts of stories in America and think wow you know people are kind of nuts but it's actually here as well where you hear people say it's a violation of their rights they don't want to wear masks it's all a conspiracy it's all a lie you know we've seen those marches in London and I I believe there were marches in Ireland etc people people are actually saying that the government is lying to them they don't believe that Covid is real I mean that is a really scary place to be in it's a bit like you know we've spoken in the past about anti-vaxers. And once that mindset takes hold in people, they will not, as you say, follow the rules because they don't believe that they there's any rules to follow because it's all a hoax. Um, and by doing that, they, put, they are putting not just themselves, but other people um, at risk. And it doesn't help the fact that the government has made so many mistakes, has made so many U-turns, the messaging has been mixed and confused. Even Even to this day, masks... And the wearing of masks doesn't feel to me in this, in this, certainly in England, that it is kind of mandatory when you go into, um, I don't know, shops and what have you, because it's not, because also who, who can enforce it? The shopkeepers can't enforce it. Even when you go on a bus um, and people are not wearing masks on bus, the bus drivers can't enforce it. So, it's, it's you know, and now we've got these COVID marshals, so called COVID marshals. I've I'd, I'd been really interested to see how that works, and even the rule of six. I mean, if Joe blogs down the road has got seven people in their house, or ten people in their house, who's going to enforce that? Who, who, who? I mean, there is this snitching line, I think, that's going to be set up, but but ultimately, it, these things are really difficult to enforce, and I think the consequences, I think from the outset, should have been a lot more stringent um in terms of if you don't comply x will happen to you because it was all mixed messages earlier on and very much the responsibility was was kind of devolved from government to individuals and then it was left as a kind of free for all free for all and I do think people are still some people still have that free for all attitude which will put the population at risk
1: yeah I think that the way you normally police and enforce things is that people listen to authority. They believe it, they trust it. They all agree it's the right thing for society. And so they do it. And like we said, we don't have that trust in government and in um, what we've been told and, and respect actually and respect for each other. Um, so that's out in the window. So then, yeah, the next thing you need is the police, um, but we're not investing in the police at the, uh, you know the speed that's needed so we've come up with these covid marshals but the the you know local authorities have said they don't have the the money and the budgets to be able to fund them so who does fund them and even if you have them like yeah they can't actually find people they can't enforce anything so it's all it's all i don't know it's just all spin really you know i don't know why we're why we're even creating these covid marshals i think it's just some way of i guess boris trying to say well it's not quite being enforced but so that he can placate those that don't want us to do very much but then also he can show those that want us to do something that he has done something um but it's just not enough um i think we just yeah like you say we need to learn the lessons we need to actually probably think about locking down even sooner but then that's not going to be the right thing for the the economy perhaps so i don't know it's well i do know but just think Boris is just playing with people's lives at the moment and that's where I guess people will have to start taking personal responsibility and saying right well I'm not going to get on buses or I'm not going to certain places or I'm going to lock down myself a bit earlier than the rest of the country does yeah and it does feel almost a bit of a bit dystopian actually where it be, become a bit of a you know each for, each for each for themselves almost and yeah let those that want to um, go on marches and, you know, spread the conspiracy theories, do that. I mean, one thing I must say is also is that we do need to just ban conspiracy theorists from TV. You just shouldn't, they just shouldn't be allowed on. You know, you can't allow people, you know, it shouldn't even be televised. Don't even promote the fact these people are marching. You know, at a time when we're trying to push one very clear message about the danger of this virus, we shouldn't be allowing you know, fake news and marches about COVID to be, to be shared. It's just, we just need to stop it.
0: Mm, I agree with you, Paul. I agree. What about the testing scenario? Because the test and trace situation just seems like it's gone out of control. We're hearing the people having to travel hundreds of miles to get a test. And you kind of wonder what's been happening these we knew that this was kind of like a crucial element of the control of covid is is testing testing and tracing but yet still it's september we haven't got it right and there was a whole thing wasn't there it was, it was blamed on 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 public health england and what have you and all of that malarkey and but the system's not right it's just not right what's the government doing
1: it's almost like they actually don't want to do it. And so they're dragging their feet. It's it's like a child and you know, you're know you trying to get the child ready and out the door and they're going, I don't want to go. So I'm going to drag my feet and hope something else happens in, in between. Um, because yeah, what have, what has Matt Hancock and whoever is meant to be doing this, what have they been doing? Um, and it's hard because again, I, I, I don't know that, I mean, Matt Hancock and government has to, have to be the full guys but i don't know that we can entirely blame it on them i don't know if it's systems and processes lack of money but you know you have whole industries that are set up to produce apps or to produce ppe and to do i don't know why we're struggling with this still i just i would love an explanation about why it just can't happen Um, well you know maybe you know I, i go to go to a university and get someone to make one go to apple and google they've got apps ready you know i i updated my phone the other day and i'm it's ready for me to opt in to be tracked and traced or whatever um but the government have been i don't know and i i only read um just today that the isle of Wight trial um was ended i think i forgot they were even doing that this has been waiting weeks and weeks and i don't know why it's not happening
0: yeah I mean I, I think you know in this situation you can blame the people at the top I think part of the problem is that blame has been um, kind of apportioned to the wrong people but ultimately I think you can it's a bit like what happened to the exam results you know they got rid of the permanent secretary for education they got rid of the off-call chief and Gavin Williamson basically was like nothing happened to him Um and we've seen that time and time again with with this government is that accountability the accountability levels are very low and nobody is held accountable um I think that's actually you know if this was a company that was performing in this way um yeah the execs would be held accountable for for it so the government ministers should be held accountable too for sure
1: yeah I'm in two minds about that because I guess I don't ever expect our government ministers to actually experts or to know very much. So no. I, I don't I don't I think they take advice and they do what you know do they they're given advice and they pick the best solution or or, or they're even advised on the best solution. I I I feel that often there's there's whole systems under them that they may not be working effectively. And I don't know where you where the blame goes. Um you know but with the exam that's the classic example where actually load this algorithm went through loads of people. Everyone agreed before it came out or most people agreed before it came out. The algorithm was the best way forward. Um, and so Hancock decided um Williamson went with it. Um, and then it wasn't and they didn't move quickly enough to you know, to do the U turn. That should have been quicker. If anything, that's the reason he should have gone. It's not making that decision. Um, but actually at the time the algorithm did appear to be the best way. Um,
0: but he was informed of issues with the algorithm, but he didn't do anything.
1: Oh, I don't know. I'll see. Well, then he should have gone. If it was his decision, he should also go. But I think there is. There's often wider implic. You know, kind of like we we're saying with um, Rio Tinto earlier. You know, there's whole syst. You know, the people at the top can be blamed, but actually, the whole culture, the whole system. It's, you know, there's. I think there is a bigger issue sometimes with the structure of organisations. That yeah, people at the top need to go, but also all you do is just leave the rest of the system in place for someone else at the top to come in and with elected individuals, you know, they know nothing, you know, one of us, you know, we could go and be prime minister in four years time if we wanted. It doesn't mean. We- yeah, let's do it, Paul. It I'm doesn't. It if you are. But I, I don't You're know sure. any more than Matt Hancock. Really, do I?
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's perfectly normal. That's perfectly fine.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I, and, I, and, I, and I just stepped down and said, oh yeah, I messed up. I, I'm going now. It doesn't solve the problem. Um, <laughs> I, I completely symbolically people should be sacked and they should go. But um I don't know that it always is solves the issue. Um mm.
0: yeah, you've got a point. You've got a point. Well, on that note, Paul, <laughs> that brings us to the end of another newsbant. Um we hope you've enjoyed listening. As per usual, you can follow us. But at Twitter, obviously we've got a new handle and new, new everything. Everything is now at newsbants. And also you can catch us on other networks, which Paul will let you know about.
1: Carry (laughs) us. Also (laughs) catch us on Instagram at newsbants.
0: Yeah. Until next time, we'll be back. And please do leave us reviews. We do love reviews. Um, Until next time, take care. Bye.
1: Bye.